secrets of success. What's up, everybody? This is Russell Brunson. Welcome back to the Secrets of Success Members Only Podcast. Um, I'm excited for today's episode. This is one I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So this is back when I first, first, first started this journey. I was just like dipping my toe in the idea of like, should I write a book on personal development? So this was like three years ago. Now, those who are listening to this in real time, I still have not written that book. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. I have written and rewritten that book. I have not gotten to the point where I'm proud enough of it that I'm willing to publish it yet. So uh, it's getting closer though. Like I'm finally, anyway, I'm excited for it. But this is back three years on my journey. So you'll notice when you hear me, like I, this is the very beginning of my thought process, like as I'm going deep into this. So, like a lot of things I didn't understand yet. I hadn't kind of hadn't meshed them together. Um, and one of my favorite people on this planet is Tom Bilyeu. He's, I think, one of the greatest minds we have uh, when it comes to success and personal development and just so many cool things. And so I was trying to like, I was trying to figure out the interaction between these two things and habits and routines and beliefs and identity and like how they all fit together. And so uh, as a friend, I messaged Tom. I was like, hey man, can I jump on a call and just ask you some some questions that are confusing to me? Um, and so you'll notice my voice, I probably sound confused or I'm trying to figure these, like I'm trying to figure these things out. This was never meant to be something that was a podcast, but I wanted to, I wanted to record it for myself so I could re-listen to it. So I recorded this and me asking these questions, he went through it and it was like, it was life-changing. It was amazing. I got done with it and um, I just sent it to one of my uh, guys on my team. I was like, hey, uh, I just called Tom, like we edited it. So I sent him to kind of edit it up and then he messaged back. He's like, dude, that call changed my life. I was like, I know it was really good. Right. Um, and then he sent to some of the guys on the video editing team. They were all freaking out. I sent to my other friends, they were freaking out. And so this is kind of a, like a private console he did with me that was never really meant to be public. And so note that as you're watching this or listening to it, like wasn't this big thing that was meant to be public, but it's something that was really powerful. Um, and again, since then, I think I've, I've identified a lot of principles and frameworks and have my thoughts and my improvements upon this. I could, that, that I would love to go and give you my thoughts, but I don't want to do that right now. I just want to give you like the raw message, uh, when I first was coming in this world. So for a lot of you guys, this is your, I mean, you're coming in kind of where I was at with Tom three years ago. Like, uh, I'm trying to figure these things out. Like, how do you put these things together? And some of his, uh, you'll find out some of his stories, some of his, his things like, uh, like th- th- they're amazing. So I don't want to ruin it other than let you know this is an amazing call. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you, Tom, for allowing me to republish this also to my audience so they can hear some of your thoughts. Um, this is kind of a private conversation between me and Tom Billy that I think you are going to love. I'm like in the middle of writing a book and it's the first time I'm writing like a non-marketing book. And so I've been like just going down this rabbit trail and all these things. And so many of the rabbit trails bump into you and then you like steer it this way and this way. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so just trying to like learn all this stuff and understand it, especially your mind, which is fascinating the way you, you think about stuff. It's really cool. You probably know that, but anyway, <laughs> very kind. Um, well, do you want me to just jump in and ask the questions? I'm ready when you're ready. Okay. So I say that list on text. I've listened to your response like 200 times. So I'm, I'm trying to like really understand it because initially again, I had that quote or that thing you had said, which was basically like the identities, beliefs, values, rules, habits, routines. And so I was thinking, like, um, you know, uh, horizontally. I'm a, I'm a doodle guy. All my books, I doodle everything out. So that was the initial thought. Was like that direction. But then you came back and changed it. So I, I kind of shifted my my doodle. I want to see if like this, if this resonates kind of more what you think what you think. And I wanted to dive deeper into all of them because some of them for me are very confusing because like they seem so similar. You know what I mean? But they're different. But sure. I'm I love just to hear your thoughts. So this is kind of the way I read. You probably can't see it well, but this is like, this is the goal, right? So this is the thing we're aiming towards. We're trying to go after something. And like you said, most people start there and they try to create habits to go get the goal or they try these things here. But the real reality is they're not worthy to, to get the goal yet because of who they are, who they, they need to become someone different, right? So it's like, who do they become? And then I was trying to tie like 
who are they becoming? I think that that's their identity, right? And inside of that, you've got your beliefs and your values. And after you figure that out, then from there, you've got like your rules, your habits, and your teams that, that tie into that. Does that make more sense? Or is that still kind of... It, it does, but it, it is even more sort of messy than that. So <laughs> you can, if you think of them almost as independent variables and you can pull on any of the strings, right? So you could, in fact, if you said, Tom, you have to, uh, my son is struggling. And if you don't get him to be like an ultra badass in six months, I'm going to shoot Lisa in the face. <laughs> then I would say, okay, cool. So this is a do or die situation. I'm kidnapping your son. I'm taking him to a desert island. And that desert island will be stocked exclusively with David Goggins, a uh, couple Marines from like, or SEALs from SEAL Team 6, like just the baddest on the planet. And that's it. And so your son doesn't have an outlet other than these people. And what ends up happening is he doesn't know about identity. What he knows is, I want to fit in. What he knows is, whoa, these guys impress me. And it could be that they, they're strong and he wants to be strong. It could be that they're not scared over the things he's scared of and he wants to be not scared like them. Whatever it is, there's going to be something, even if it is just, these are the only people around me and I need to fit in. So I'm going to do, if, it, if I stalk the island with a bunch of axe murderers, he'd want to be an axe murderer. I mean, really though, like, on a long enough timeline, if you isolate somebody, they become psychologically damaged. It is the craziest thing. Solitary confinement reveals something about the human psyche that is deeply unnerving. But we must, must have interaction with other humans. Now, part of that is we will want to be accepted by that group no matter what. But if you put somebody in a group of people they respect, they will do anything to be respected by the group. So now you take this kid who, who the fuck knows what he was doing before. He now is clamoring for the respect of people who are acting in a way that is useful. And so six months with them and it will become his identity. But now you could also flip that. And if somebody's really receptive, I could take them and say, hey, you want to change? You want to grow? You want to accomplish this stuff? Amazing. All you have to do is recognize whatever you repeat will become true. Your, your brain just, that's the way it works. You repeat that you're a moron enough, you will actually feel like a moron. You repeat that you're capable enough, and then you will actually become capable. You'll believe it. So you're going to make your identity one thing, dear aspiring young Jedi, and that is to tell yourself that you're the learner. Now, once I get them obsessed with this idea of learning, because skills actually have utility, they will get better. There's just no way about it. The only way you can encounter knowledge and not get better is if you have like a block of, oh, that's for other people. I'm not smart or whatever. But if your identity is really, I learned, that's what I do, then they will get better over time for sure. So I could pull them in that way. Conversely, I could say, hey, let me tell you, your mindset is a real thing. So the way the human brain works is there's a region of your brain called the deep limbic system. The deep limbic system has one job. It doesn't tell you what's happening. It tells you how you feel about what's happening. It tells you if what is happening is good or bad. So my favorite example is, hey baby, you look amazing in that bikini. Oh, did I not look good yesterday? Or whoa, 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 what do you mean, right? Like you yeah. can hear one of two things like, oh, uh, you just like it because I'm showing more skin or, 
I didn't look good yesterday or whatever it is, or they could take it like, oh my God, thank you so much. That's amazing. Now I feel better. Same input, very different response, depending on where they're at. Now you can actually study this. You can inflame somebody's deep limbic system by a bad diet, by this is exactly why um, on average people that have higher amplitude symptoms of PMS tend to take everything negatively because one of the things that inflames the deep limbic system is a rush of estrogen. So you hit the brain with this rush of estrogen. It causes inflammation in the region of your brain designed to tell you how you feel about things. It skews towards the negative when inflamed and boom, there you go. It's why it's so predictable. So now I can come at you with that and say, hey, look, you're basically living in a virtual reality. And while I'm not saying that this is actually the matrix in a simulation, I am saying that your brain, which has regions designed to tell you how to feel about things, right? Shakespeare's line, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So nothing is objectively good or bad, but you feel some kind of way about everything. Light never touches your brain. Okay, your brain is encased in total darkness. It's floating in a little bit of liquid. Sound never touches your brain. And yet you look out before you and you think you're having this experience of the outside world. But in reality, it's all happening in your brain. That's like the craziest realization for me. Once I realized, oh my God, like I'm actually in a virtual environment. Now it's convincing enough that I don't bump into enough shit, but the reality is it's all virtual. So you'll see something and think, oh, that's bad, that's damaging, whatever. And all of a sudden you take a different perspective on it. Oh, failure isn't bad because it's going to teach me something. Oh, failure doesn't mean I'm a loser. I need to think like AI. AI doesn't beat itself up when it tries something that doesn't work. AI goes, okay, I tried moving right, moving right doesn't work. I tried moving left, moving left doesn't work. Oh, I have to go wherever the ball is. Okay, I got it right? There's no sense of self-defeating language. So a mere reframing of failure now puts you in the driver's seat where you're not afraid to embarrass yourself. You're not afraid to go try things. But do you see how I'm, I'm like pulling it different ways? I can get you to heaven in a whole bunch of different ways because they all are a piece of the puzzle. And it almost doesn't matter where you start. They're all, what, they're all, Effect. It's like dominoes. One knocks over Correct. the other, going or vice versa. And you will know this from having kids. One of your kids is going to resonate with identity. One of them is going to resonate with uh, you're living in a virtual world and we need to attack this through beliefs. And the other we put on the desert island and it's all about value system and respect. You never know who is going to respond to what, but they're all going to end up at the same place. And the same place is this. It's what I call the only belief that matters. And no one will understand this as well as a wrestler. So this is going to hit you like a two-ton heavy thing. The only belief that matters is that if you put time and attention into getting better at something, you will get better. Hmm. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be gifted at wrestling. Now, you may never become the uh, MMA champ. You may never win a gold medal in Olympics. But you will and I promise you 10x, 100x your own abilities by putting in time and energy, by training well. You have to train well. You can't just train stupidly. But if you train well, you will, by the very virtue of being a human being with no other credits to your name, you are a human. The human mind is designed to get better with concentrated effort. 
period. Now, once you believe that, it's like, dad, I'm dumb. Okay, sure. You're not smart yet. But now, what do you want to apply yourself to? What do you want to get good at? Right? Most people stop at, I'm not good at this thing. Okay, sure. But what do you want to get good at? Because it is a truth of the human animal that if you apply time and energy to a skill, well, you will get better at it, period. So the quote that I hold warmly to my chest is this. You can't make a racehorse out of a pig, but you can make a really fast pig. <laughs> and I think it is almost certainly true that my life is the answer to the question, what does a fast pig look like? <laughs> because I'm not a racehorse, but I'm a really fast pig. And I've spent so much time and energy in getting better in yeah. learning about what I call the physics of being human. Just what are the, the realities of the human mind? Because you're having a biological experience. Mm -hmm. That's just true. And once you accept, okay, I'm having a biological experience. How does this biological human creature improve its skill set in a way that's useful? Hmm. You're saying that some kind of like this in the frame of like my life, because when I was in high school, I my identity was I was a wrestler and that, that's what I was good at, but I also had an identity that was stupid. So like I barely like straight C GPA because I'd have C's to wrestle and like all the high school from college, I always thought I was a dumb kid. Like my entire life I thought I was dumb until I got done with wrestling. And all of a sudden, like my wrestling identity disappeared. And I was just the dumb kid. But I wanted to make money. And I was like, ah. And so I started like finding people who are making money and what they were doing online. And like that's how I started different friend groups, which you know, started attacking all these things. And eventually I was like, I'm not actually dumb. This is really good news, <laughs> you know, and here we are. Interesting. Now here's the really powerful way to think about that story. You really were dumb at first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then you started reading, surrounding yourself with other people, brought on new beliefs, values, started chasing things and you got better. And eventually not only were you not dumb, you were extraordinarily capable. And this is why, because whenever I tell my story, so people are obviously looking at me, you know, I've had tremendous financial success. They see me up on stage, I'm speaking, um, millions of followers. And so when I tell my story and I say, oh, my mom thought I was going to fail when I went to college. My best friend thought I would marshmallow my way through life. My father-in-law said no when I asked for his blessing to marry his daughter. They all think, oh man, they're so dumb. They couldn't see it. No, no, no. They had accurately identified that that really was where I was at that time. Like that was all accurate for that moment. Now, what they couldn't have predicted, what honestly, even I couldn't have predicted is that there's this thing called drive, which I will say when people talk about being hungry, I was ravenous and that ability to maintain that level of hunger in the face of extraordinary success is my superpower. And once you want something badly enough, and this is why um, being poor can be so powerful. Poverty destroys 99.9% .9 of the people that it touches. But the 0.1% that survive overshoot the moon. And they go on to do the most insane because they're like, I'm never going back to that again. I'm never being like that again. No way. And then when they apply themselves to actually getting better at something, of course they do because that's what the human animal is designed to do. And they just put so much time and energy. Like I did the math, my average week, my average week is 93 hours. 
Now, that's 93 hours post success. So that hunger to just get better and to learn and have a voracious appetite, it's like people can't keep up. So even though I'm just a fast pig, it's like I'm a fast pig in a whole lot of areas. And everything that I learn, it stacks, it stacks, it stacks, it stacks. And so now it's to the point where literally just off of the things that I know and can talk about, I can make $100,000 in an hour. Like that's so fucking crazy. And let alone, like I've had a $25 million day before. So it's like, it gets so interesting, but getting people on the path is hard. Yeah, initial momentum of it. It, um, If I'm like alive, two years ago we had, you know, Lindsey Sterling that plays violin and dances? Yes. She spoke and then, or she, she performed for us. And I got an interview her afterwards. And it was really cool because um, I was, she was on America's Got Talent and she I took like seventh place or something. The guy was like, you're not talented. You, like, get out of here. And so my question was like, how did you feel when, you know, he told you that and like, you pissed like, yeah, I am talented. And she's like, no, I went home and I realized she was right. I wasn't good enough. And that's when I started my journey. That's when I began and like all the stuff. Now she became Lindsay Sterling. And I was like, oh my gosh, I missed. That gave me the chills. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, it's fascinating. So for you, when I was listening to your your talk with uh, or your call with Rachel, so for you, the thing that shifted though was values. It was when you got around the, your your roommates and your buddies and stuff that that lived differently, and that was the thing that drove you initially. Is that right? The the big thing initially was beliefs. So I, like you, thought I was dumb, mm-hmm. and I was haunted by a movie called Amadeus. And in Amadeus, there's a real life character, a guy named Solieri, who was a contemporary of Amadeus Mozart. And uh, he lamented to God in the film, why did you make me just talented enough to realize I'll never be as good as Mozart? And that was how I felt. I always felt like I was like, just smart enough to realize my friends were always going to be smarter than me. And that they would go on to be successful because they were smart. But I wasn't smart like that. And things like that didn't come easily to me. And that lamentation carried me into my mid-20s. And it was getting so dire. And I felt so badly about myself and so hopeless that I started reading about the brain. And I wish I could remember what the insight was that made me go, there might be an answer there. Whatever it was, I started reading about the brain and came across this idea of brain plasticity. Now this is the late 90s. So brain plasticity was still being debated. Is it real? Is it not real? And I thought, oh, when I think of the world as if brain plasticity is real, then I get excited because that means I can get better. When I think of brain plasticity as being something that ends when you're 12, then I get very, very sad. And the neurochemical change in me was so profound and noticeable. I decided just to, even if it was a lie, I was going to believe that I could get better. And so that was the, why I call it the only belief that matters that ended up dictating every step I made after that. So the reason I put myself around people that were going so hard was because I believed that I could improve. If I didn't believe I could improve and I actually had a moment of crisis when I was with them because they were so much farther ahead than me in every aspect, they were more muscular than I was. They were smarter than I was. They were farther ahead in business than I was. And it just like was just this unrelenting parade of why I was a loser. And I thought, okay, well, hold on. If you believe you can get better, then you need to switch your mentality because I I was thinking of leaving. 
Cause I'm like, this is so miserable to always be the worst. And if it's true that they're the surest path to my success, which at the time it really, really seemed obvious that they were, then I need to build my self-esteem around something more useful than being smarter than them because I'm not smarter than them. And that gave me the insight to, okay, think of yourself solely as the learner and pride yourself on being the learner. So don't pride yourself on being right. Pride yourself on admitting you were wrong faster than anyone else and then putting the energy behind the right idea. And that changed my life. That, that's like the one moment that's like, I remember where I was when I had the realization it's a demarcation point in my life. Um, but ultimately it came from the belief that brain plasticity was real, meaning if I put time and energy into getting better, I actually will get better. And so that was the thing that lifted that hopelessness off my shoulders. It just became a question of, well, do you want it badly enough to work this hard? Because much like getting lean, getting lean doesn't come easy to me. And getting good at things doesn't come easily to me. But I can throw an inhuman amount of energy. So when you've got somebody that maybe learns twice as fast as I do, but they work a quarter of what I work, well, then I come out ahead. So now when I meet somebody that's more intelligent than me, and they work harder than me, you get an Elon Musk, right? It's like, I can't, I can't outwork the motherfucker. Like he's already clocking, you know, I'm sure his is 93 or more. So uh, that's out. And then he is clearly in terms of, I'll just define intelligence as the rate at which you process raw data. He just thinks through problems faster than I do. So that doesn't, that no longer hurts my self-esteem though, because I don't pride myself on being smart. I pride myself on being a learner. So it's like, I'm completely content with being a fast pig. It's extraordinary what you can do with your life if you're truly committed to being a fast pig. Um, but all of that to say that for me, it started with that, the only belief that matters. Yeah, that's awesome. Dang, I hope someday you write a book. I'm still crossing my fingers that you like the play, like the, everything else just takes care of itself and you just write a book. Is that, anyway. I'm thinking about, so for a long time, I think my problem was that I really wanted author to sort of be part of the identity and so i just wanted to you know not have somebody else ghostwrite it i'll do it and then i realized it doesn't make sense to say it's never going to be written so that if it did get written you could go in the interview and say i wrote every word so once i flipped my mind to saying oh yeah, yeah, yeah. i've got these ideas i farmed it out to a ghostwriter and they fucking did it and here we are um I'm completely okay with that. And so I think in the near future, uh, I will just stroke a check to a ghostwriter and say, go. Because the big thing was Impact Theory University didn't exist yet. So I hadn't put it all down. And so the thought of like sitting down and taking this, oh God. But now that it's literally ghostwriter, here's your money. Go watch every video I've done for ITU, turn it into a book. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Okay, a couple of follow-up questions if you're okay. Um, so with your... Like, I'm like in the spot now where I want to like start mapping out like what is my identity like actually right now? What are my beliefs? What are my values? Have you done that? Like, do you do you have like lists like these are these are my beliefs, my identity, my values? Like, my beliefs, right yes, they've been written down. I think I'll eventually teach a course on values to force me to write them down. So obviously, I know them intuitively, but I've never taken the time to actually map them out. But I have my 25 beliefs mapped out. Um, they're even in order. So yeah. Is that the ones that are, are that are on uh, the impact theory thing? Yep. Okay, so those are the beliefs. Awesome. Just off top here, what are some of the values? And so I just can, I'm trying to 
be clear understanding of how to differentiate those two. There's some Yeah. So a belief is something that is true about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can learn anything I set my mind to without limitation. That's about the world, belief. not about yourself more so. They can be both. Some will be about you and some will be about the world. Um, values are specific to you. They are things like um, my number one value is my wife. So it matters to me to share a life with one person for all the good and bad that that entails. So if my business collides with my marriage and in, in a meaningful way, obviously when you're working 93 hours a week, there's already a certain amount of compromise. Um, but when it conflicts in a meaningful way, if we start to feel detached or if I was going to miss something important by traveling, um, then I wouldn't. And I would just, I, I never have a hard time. If Lisa says, hey, it's important to me that you be here for this thing and a huge opportunity comes along, I'd be like, meh. It's easy to say no to the opportunity. That's super important to me. Integrity is important to me. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Being a hardcore motherfucker is important to me. Getting every bit of my potential turned into actual skill set is important to me. Being fearless is important to me. In, in the sense, not that I won't have fear, that I will rise in the face of fear. That's important to me. Protecting my wife is important to me. So you may one day hear that I was shot to death trying to save my wife, but you will never hear that I was cowering in a corner while my wife was murdered, right? So it's things like that. And again, I've not taken the time to sort of lay them all out. Um, Helping other people is important to me. Outworking other people is important to me. Uh, Being a competitor is important to me, right? So now I could give you a flip side belief of that. So being a competitor is a value that I hold. As written as a belief, that would be those who are more competitive are more likely to achieve greatness, right? Cool. Mm-hmm. Same, same idea, one worded one way, one worded the other. So if you're ever like, ooh, I'm not sure if this is a belief or a value, odds are that it could be both. And so you just have to decide how you're going to express it in your life. Like some of my beliefs are secretly rules. So it's like, ah, this one would probably be better offered up as a rule, but some of my rules are so like simplistic that I didn't want to put the two together. So when I have a rule that's sort of profound, it makes its way as a belief. So for instance, one should only ever do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. Now that's really a rule, which is do and believe that which moves you towards your goals, which I live by, but it's such a profound idea to orient people around goals that I don't want it in the mix with something like I get out of bed in 10 minutes or less, right? Which is a little less sort of awe-inspiring, very useful in my life, fucking incredibly important, but it isn't profound. Interesting. Huh. Would you, okay. So belief values and rules are all, let's put it somewhere else. That's interesting. And then how would you identify, or how would you describe like identity then? Like, is that like a phrase? Identity is literally a statement that you say to yourself that carries a lot of baggage. It's just a shorthand way for you to remember who you are, right? So if um, when I say I'm the learner, that will come to my rescue a million times. Somebody says, Tom's a fucking moron. And I'm like, oh, oh God, talk about hitting me where I have deep insecurities, right? So, but then I go, ah, I'm the learner. 
So I don't need to be brilliant. Now, if I told myself the story of Tom is the smartest person that ever lived, and you point out how I'm a moron, and it's a pretty convincing argument, that's devastating because it takes away my identity. So um, there's that multiple book. By the is, that, is that the core identity? Do you have multiple identities then? Yeah, I mean, you could shift in and out for sure. You could say, I'm also a husband, right? I'm a husband first. And that really matters to me. And a lot of people have an identity as a dad. Some part of my identity, I mean, look, our identities are when you get out of the, um, out of what I'll say is maximally useful and into the mess of reality. Mm-hmm. So part of my identity for sure is being an entrepreneur. So, and part of my identity, quite frankly, is being right some amount of the time. But in terms of what I repeat to myself, the thing that I claim as my identity, that, that sort of moniker that you give this phrase that you repeat about yourself to constantly orient yourself in a useful way to the world. And you lived it, right? You know how much saying I'm a wrestler oriented you, how it impacted your behavior, it impacted what you ate, it impacted how you trained. And you can understand how if somebody says to themselves, I'm a wrestler, or they say, I'm a world-class wrestler, even that distinction ends up altering behaviors, altering self-perception, alters where you're vulnerable, right? Because now that identity, you could still be great, but if you fail to make the Olympic team, let's say, it could all come crashing down. So you could be one of the 10 best people in your state. Every motherfucker you encounter on the street is terrified of you, but you didn't make the Olympic team. And since you told yourself that you're a world-class wrestler, now all of a sudden it's like, who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? It all comes crumbling down. So you have to be so careful. The only anti-fragile identity I've ever heard, and I'm super open, but the only anti-fragile identity, meaning the more you attack it, the better it becomes that I've come across is the learner. Because now if somebody says you're a moron, then you go, in what way? Tell me, because now you're going to pull the scales away from my eyes and I'm going to learn it, right? Because I value myself for that. And you repeat it enough because the idea behind repetition is to make it an easier thought for your brain to think, okay? Your brain is extraordinarily stingy with calories. You have this three pound thing that burns 20 or 25% of your calories. Now, the reason you lose muscle mass if you don't use it is your body's like, I can't fucking carry anything that is metabolically expensive. So we have this insane ability to gain and lose muscle because if you gain muscle, you better fucking need it because you have to feed it. So if you don't need it, boom, the body's going to get rid of it. So if your brain is that calorically active, you've got to imagine your brain is looking for ways to optimize thinking, to actually make it calorically less expensive. And so what it does is it creates these default mode networks, neurons that fire together, wire together. They wrap them with a myelin sheath. It makes it more efficient for the energy to travel, right? The electrical and chemical signals. So it just takes less fucking energy. But the problem is that now you get into these hardwired patterns, but you can use that to your advantage. So I'm gonna repeat shit that make me feel the way I wanna feel, pumped up, hyped up, whatever. I repeat that, now it gets easier to feel that. This is exactly why visualization works. It gets easier to feel that way. And now I've repeated to myself enough, I'm the learner, that when somebody says you're moron and I get that sting of, oh God, that sucks. I can immediately shift my neurochemistry, right? You're having a biological experience. All of life is about feeling good about yourself when you buy yourself. That's it. That's the punchline. 
all the money in the world, not going to help you. You want to feel good about yourself when you buy yourself. So I tell myself I'm the learner enough and I hype it up with like feel good chemicals. I do that over and over and over and over and over. Now, when somebody tells me I'm a moron, it's readily available. I go, aha, but I'm okay with that because I'm the learner. And then my brain goes, you've actually done the work. You even just saying that, like I have the chills right now, just saying that I'm the learner gives me the chills, makes me feel good. I'm like, yeah. And it's got all this baggage, right? This is a key part of why identity is so powerful is you've loaded it with all this baggage, hopefully positive baggage. But when I say I'm the learner, I'm like, what comes with that to me is all the people that laughed at me 20 years ago. And then I blew past them in business. And then I blew past them financially. And then I blew past them on the social scene. It's like, I knew at that moment, this is a long game. And if I just don't quit, all the people that are way ahead of me now, I'm going to be looking at them in my rearview mirror. So the having proven that to myself hits me, right? When I say, ah, but I'm the learner. And on a long enough timeline, I can be anybody at anything. And the weight of my life and the number of times I've told myself that and all that just comes flooding on me. And so now I'm back in a neurochemical situation that makes me feel strong and bold and confident and lets me move forward. Dude. This is amazing. Huh. I'm gonna spend the next four hours just writing out my identity, beliefs, and values and make them actually tangible because this and rules. I have them, but I don't think I've ever thought enough through them to like consciously be like, oh, these are the things. It's interesting. Um, okay, two more pieces of my of my chart, and I think I got everything I'm trying to figure out. So the next ones I had are, are habits and routines. And I'd love to hear how you think about those differently or similarly. Similar, yeah, similarly. Habits and routines are the two things that I often think, are they one thing? Are they two things? So I don't have a strong thesis on, um, I have a gut feeling that if I really dug into them, that I could begin to uh, section them off and sort of give them their own identity. But I almost always refer to them just as habits and routines, right? Mm -hmm. So it's those things that you do habitually. Um, so I have a habit of going to the gym first thing in the morning. I have a habit of meditating. I have, you know, a habit of eating my food at the same time. I have a habit of going to bed at the same time. Um, you could sort of put the things together into a routine, a few of those bricks. So my morning goes like this. I don't wake up with an alarm. I wake up whenever I wake up. I immediately put my gym clothes on. I put headphones on. And before I walk out of the room, I am listening to something that is on my to research list. So boom, that's my thing. I go and either I meditate first or I work out first. It's different. I, I go through phases, um, but I'll go do one of those two things immediately. And then it all culminates with when I break my fast and finally eat. And then once that's done, and sometimes depending on the timing of everything, I'll work for a few hours in between. It just depends on what time I wake up. Um, and that sort of is my morning routine. And so I've optimized it to maximize my health, to maximize my work, to make sure that I'm ABL, always be learning, and um, that I structure things in such a way that I'm busy enough that I'm not thinking about food so that I can make sure that I hit my minimum 16-hour fast, which is another rule. I'll say at least five days a week, I go for... Minimum 16 hours, but honestly, that's a lie. It usually averages out to about 17.8 hours, but I only 
owe myself 16 uh, so that if I were super hungry or something, I would by all means eat. Uh, and quite frankly, so that I feel like a stud for instead of doing the 16 that I owe myself, I do 17.8. Cause there's no joy. When you hit 16, you just did the minimum. <laughs> at 17.8. Yeah, it'd be uh, hardcore or it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm curious, what time do you naturally wake up typically? Does it depend uh, on when you go to bed or is, you when you go to bed at night? I always go to bed at nine. So 4 a.m. is what I consider normal, but I would be lying if I said that I, I routinely wake up. I'd say 40% of the time I wake up in the middle of the night. And so I have stuff that I start doing so that it's not wasted time, um, but it isn't ideal. But like last night was just a perfect night. Went to bed at nine, up at 3.54, amazing. And so now, cause seven hours for me is magically delicious. I feel 100%. And uh, yeah, I can work all day at absolute top notch performance until I go to bed at nine. That's amazing. Huh. Dang. Dude, I appreciate your time on this. This is super helpful for me to kind of understand how your brain thinks and how all these things all tie together and um, I'm excited. 